This is an audio version of Machine Learning for Humans Part 2.1, Supervised Learning, by Miney and Subri, 2017. It's part of the core curriculum for the AGI Safety Fundamentals course. Subtitle. The two tasks of supervised learning, regression and classification. Linear regression, loss functions and gradient descent. How much money will we make by spending more dollars on digital advertising? Will this loan applicant pay back the loan or not? What's going to happen to the stock market tomorrow? In supervised learning problems, we start with a data set containing training examples with associated correct labels. For example, when learning to classify handwritten digits, a supervised learning algorithm takes thousands of pictures of handwritten digits along with labels containing the correct number each image represents. The algorithm will then learn the relationship between the images and their associated numbers and apply that learned relationship to classify completely new images without labels that the machine hasn't seen before. This is how you're able to deposit a check by taking a picture with your phone. To illustrate how supervised learning works, let's examine the problem of predicting annual income based on the number of years of higher education someone has completed. Expressed more formally, we'd like to build a model that approximates the relationship F between the number of years of higher education, X, and corresponding annual income, Y. As an equation, that's Y equals F of X plus epsilon. So once again, X, the input, is the years of higher education, Y, the output, is the annual income, F is a function describing the relationship between X and Y, and epsilon is a random error term, which can be positive or negative, with mean zero. Two points regarding epsilon. First, epsilon represents irreducible error in the model, which is a theoretical limit around the performance of your algorithm due to inherent noise in the phenomena you are trying to explain. For example, imagine building a model to predict the outcome of a coin flip. And the second point about epsilon? Incidentally, mathematician Paul Erdős referred to children as epsilons because in calculus, but not in stats, epsilon denotes an arbitrarily small positive quantity. Fitting, no? One method for predicting income would be to create a rigid rules-based model for how income and education are related. For example, I'd estimate that for every additional year of higher education, annual income increases by $5,000. That is... Income equals $5,000 multiplied by years of education plus the baseline income. This approach is an example of engineering a solution versus learning a solution, as with the linear regression method described below. You could come up with a more complex model by including some rules about degree type, years of work experience, school tiers, etc. For example, if they completed a bachelor's degree or higher, give the income estimate a 1.5 times multiplier. But this kind of explicit rules-based programming doesn't work well with complex data. Imagine trying to design an image classification algorithm made of if-then statements describing the combinations of pixel brightnesses that should be labelled cat or not cat. Supervised machine learning solves this problem by getting the computer to do the work for you. By identifying patterns in the data, the machine is able to form heuristics. The primary difference between this and human learning is that machine learning runs on computer hardware and is best understood through the lens of computer science and statistics, whereas human pattern matching happens in a biological brain while accomplishing the same goals. In supervised learning, the machine attempts to learn the relationship between income and education from scratch by running labelled training data through a learning algorithm. This learned function can be used to estimate the income of people whose income Y is unknown as long as we have years of education X as inputs. In other words, we can apply our model to the unlabeled test data to estimate Y. 
The goal of supervised learning is to predict y as accurately as possible, when given new examples where x is known and y is unknown. In what follows, we'll explore several of the most common approaches to doing so. Section heading. The two tasks of supervised learning, regression and classification. Here are some definitions. Regression, predict a continuous numerical value. How much will that house sell for? And classification, assign a label. Is this a picture of a cat or a dog? The rest of this section will focus on regression. In part 2.2, we'll dive deeper into classification methods. Heading, regression, predicting a continuous value. Regression predicts a continuous target variable y. It allows you to estimate a value such as housing prices or human lifespan based on input data x. Here, target variable means the unknown variable we care about predicting, and continuous means there aren't gaps or discontinuities in the value that y can take on. A person's weight and height are continuous values. Discrete variables, on the other hand, can only take on a finite number of values. For example, the number of kids somebody has is a discrete variable. Predicting income is a classic regression problem. Your input data X includes all relevant information about individuals in the dataset that can be used to predict income, such as years of education, years of work experience, job title, or zip code. These attributes are called features, which can be numerical, for example, years of work experience, or categorical, for example, job title or field of study. You'll want as many training observations as possible relating these features to the target output Y, so that your model can learn the relationship F between X and Y. The data is split into a training dataset and a test dataset. The training set has labels, so your model can learn from these labeled examples. The test set does not have labels. That is, you don't yet know the value you're trying to predict. It's important that your model can generalize to situations it hasn't encountered before so that it can perform well on the test data. And here's a text box with some definitions. Regression, y equals f of x plus epsilon, where x equals a series x1, x2, all the way through to xn. Training, machine learns f from labelled training data. Test, machine predicts y from unlabeled testing data. Note that x can be a tensor with any number of dimensions. A one-dimensional tensor is a vector, that's one row with many columns. A two-dimensional tensor is a matrix, it's many rows with many columns. And then you can have tensors with three, four, five, or more dimensions. For example, a 3D tensor with rows, columns, and depth. For a review of these terms, see the first few pages of a linear algebra review which is posted here. That's into that text box with definitions. In our trivially simple 2D example, this could take the form of a CSV file where each row contains a person's education level and income. Add more columns with more features and you'll have a more complex but possibly more accurate model. So here's a diagram showing that it's labelled supervised learning regression. So we've got columns and rows. Columns are observation number 1, 2, 3, etc. Years of higher education. These are numbers for each row. And income, again a number for each row. And the training set is all labelled. In the data set we have the years of higher education and the observation number, but there's question marks for the income. Heading. So how do we solve these problems? How do we build models that make accurate, useful predictions in the real world? We do so by using supervised learning algorithms. Now let's get to the fun part, getting to know the algorithms. 
We'll explore some of the ways to approach regression and classification and illustrate key machine learning concepts throughout. Heading. Linear regression. Ordinary least squares. It starts with a little quote. Draw the line. Yes, this counts as machine learning. First, we'll focus on solving the income prediction problem with linear regression, since linear models don't work well with image recognition tasks. This is the domain of deep learning, which we'll explore later. We have our dataset X and corresponding target values Y. The goal of ordinary least squares, or OLS, regression is to learn a linear model that we can use to predict a new Y given a previously unseen X with as little error as possible. We want to guess how much income someone earns based on how many years of education they received. So here's a little text box with some definitions. X underscore train equals, it's just a list of single digit numbers, four, five, zero, two, through to the final number six. And it's commented, years of post-secondary education. On a new line, we have another variable, Y underscore train. And that's another list with numbers like 80, 91.5, 42, and so on through to the final number 100. And that's commented, corresponding annual incomes in thousands of dollars. And right after that, we have a graph with years of post-secondary education on the x-axis and income on the y-axis. And each data point in the data set has been plotted on this graph. We notice that all of them line up with whole numbers on the x-axis because years is a discrete kind of variable. And they range up and down the y-axis. Just eyeballing it, it does appear to have a positive correlation, but there's no kind of line marked on this graph yet. The text continues. Linear regression is a parametric method, which means it makes an assumption about the form of the function relating x and y. We'll cover examples of non-parametric methods later. Our model will be a function that predicts y hat, that's y with a caret symbol over the top of it, given a specific x. y hat equals beta subscript 0 plus beta subscript 1 multiplied by x plus epsilon. And that's captioned, in this case, we make the explicit assumption that there is a linear relationship between x and y. That is, for each one unit increase in x, we see a constant increase or decrease in y. Beta subscript 0 is the y-intercept, and beta subscript 1 is the slope of our line. That is, how much income increases or decreases with one additional year of education. Our goal is to learn the model parameters, in this case beta sub 0 and beta sub 1, that minimize error in the model's predictions. To find the best parameters. 1. Define a cost function or loss function that measures how inaccurate your model's predictions are. And then 2. Find the parameters that minimize loss, that is, make our model as accurate as possible. Graphically, in two dimensions, this results in a line of best fit. In three dimensions, we would draw a plane, and so on with higher dimensional hyperplanes. There's a text box here with a side note, a note on dimensionality. Our example is two-dimensional for simplicity, but you'll typically have more features, or x's, and coefficients, betas, in your model. For example, when adding more relevant variables to improve the accuracy of your model's predictions. The same principles generalize to higher dimensions, though things get much harder to visualize beyond three dimensions. And now we have the same graph as before, except this time there's been a line drawn that visually seems to track the trend which we see in the points. And it's a line with a positive slope, a straight line that begins roughly in the middle of the first cluster of dots and ends roughly in the middle of the last cluster of dots. And it appears to fit these points quite well, 
there are very few dots that appear to be far away to the line relative to other dots. Mathematically, we look at the difference between each real data point y and our model's prediction y hat. Square these differences to avoid negative numbers and penalise larger differences and then add them up and take the average. This is a measure of how well our data fits the line. Here's a more complex formula. It's captioned n equals the number of observations. Using 2 times n instead of n makes the math work out more cleanly when taking the derivative to minimise loss, though some stats people say this is blasphemy. When you start having opinions on this kind of stuff, you'll know you are all the way in the rabbit hole. Audio note, this is a more complex occasion. It's not particularly useful to narrate this, but we can point out that it takes the form cost equals, then a more complex term, which is the sum over various numbers of an equation squared, all of which is divided by 2 times n, as discussed in the caption. If you'd like to check out and study the exact formula, you can do so in the original post, which is linked in the episode description. For a simple problem like this, we can compute a closed-form solution using calculus to find the optimal beta parameters that minimise our loss function. But as a cost function grows in complexity, finding a closed-form solution with calculus is no longer feasible. This is the motivation for an iterative approach called gradient descent, which allows us to minimise a complex loss function. Heading. Gradient descent. Learn the parameters. This section also starts with a little quote. Quote, put on a blindfold, take a step downhill. You've found the bottom when you have nowhere to go but up. End quote. Gradient descent will come up over and over again, especially in neural networks. Machine learning libraries like Scikit-Learn and TensorFlow use it in the background everywhere, so it's worth understanding the details. The goal of gradient descent is to find the minimum of our model's loss function by iteratively getting a better and better approximation of it. Imagine yourself walking through a valley with a blindfold on. Your goal is to find the bottom of the valley. How would you do it? A reasonable approach would be to touch the ground around you and move in whichever direction the ground is sloping down most steeply. Take a step and repeat the same process continually until the ground is flat. Then you know you've reached the bottom of a valley. If you move in any direction from where you are, you'll end up at the same elevation or further uphill. Going back to mathematics, the ground becomes our loss function and the elevation at the bottom of the valley is the minimum of that function. Let's take a look at the loss function we saw in regression. So here's that equation from before, cost equals the sum over 1 to n of a complex equation squared, all divided by 2 times n. And within that equation we have variables n, beta subscript 1, beta subscript 0, y subscript i, and n. We see that this is really a function of two variables, beta sub 0 and beta sub 1. All the rest of the variables are determined, since x, y, and n are given during training. We want to try to minimise this function. And here's a 3D diagram which visualises some kind of cone-shaped valley within 3D space. It's kind of like an ice cream cone or a flat plane which has been pulled and distorted down to a point. And we have a point partway up one of the sides which is marked as current estimate of minimum. And then right down at the lowest point we have true value of minimum, should converge here. The function is f of beta sub 0 comma beta sub 1 equals z. To begin gradient descent, you make some guess of the parameters beta sub 0 and beta sub 1 that minimise the function. Next, you find the partial derivatives of the loss function with respect to each beta parameter. dz over d beta sub 0, comma, dz over d beta sub 1. A partial derivative indicates how much total loss is increased or decreased if you increase beta sub 0 or beta sub 1 by a very small amount. 
Put another way, how much would increasing your estimate of annual income, assuming zero higher education, beta sub zero, increase the loss, that is inaccuracy, of your model? You want to go in the opposite direction so that you end up walking downhill and minimizing loss. Similarly, if you increase your estimate of how much each incremental year of education affects income, beta sub one, how much does this increase loss, z? If the partial derivative dz over beta sub one is a negative number, then increasing beta sub one is good because it will reduce total loss. If it's a positive number, you want to decrease beta sub one. If it's zero, don't change beta sub one because it means you've reached an optimum. Keep doing that until you reach the bottom. That is, the algorithm converged and loss has been minimized. There are lots of tricks in exceptional cases beyond the scope of this series, but generally, this is how you find the optimal parameters for your parametric model. Heading, overfitting. Once again, it starts with a quote. Overfitting, quote, Sherlock, your explanation of what just happened is too specific to the situation. Regularization, quote, Don't overcomplicate things, Sherlock. I'll punch you for every extra word. Hyperparameter, lambda, quote, Here's the strength with which I will punch you for every extra word. A common problem in machine learning is overfitting. Learning a function that perfectly explains the training data that the model learned from, but doesn't generalize well to unseen test data. Overfitting happens when a model overlearns from the training data to the point that it starts picking up idiosyncrasies that aren't representative of patterns in the real world. This becomes especially problematic as you make your model increasingly complex. Underfitting is a related issue where your model is not complex enough to capture the underlying trend in the data. And here's a text box with some definitions. Bias variance trade-off. Bias is the amount of error introduced by approximating real-world phenomena with a simplified model. Variance is how much your model's test error changes based on variation in the training data. It reflects the model's sensitivity to the idiosyncrasies of the data set it was trained on. As a model increases in complexity and it becomes more wiggly or flexible, its bias decreases. It does a good job of explaining the training data. But variance increases. It doesn't generalize as well. Ultimately, in order to have a good model, you need one with low bias and low variance. And here we have an illustration. It has a series of graphs with different lines of best fit drawn on them. The first one is high bias, underfit. The second is just right, in quotes. And the third is high variance, overfit. And each one has an example equation that could have generated it. So one is theta zero plus theta one x. And as we move on past just right to high variance, we see that that equation gets more and more complex with more and more terms. And then the illustrations are simply a straight line, which is underfit because it's quite far from a lot of the data points. Just right is a curve that starts increasing quite rapidly and then begins to flatten out. And then high variance or overfit is a big wiggly line that fits exactly each point, but has a lot of different turns and wiggles in it. Remember that the only thing we care about is how the model performs on test data. You want to predict which emails will be marked as spam before they're marked not just build a model that is 100% accurate at reclassifying the emails it used to build itself in the first place. Hindsight is 2020. The real question is whether the lessons learned will help in the future. The model on the right, that's the wiggly line, has zero loss for the training data because it perfectly fits every data point. But the lesson doesn't generalize. It would do a horrible job at explaining a new data point that isn't yet on the line. Two ways to combat overfitting. One, use more training data. The more you have, 
the harder it is to overfit the data by learning too much from any single training example. 2. Use regularization. Add in a penalty in the loss function for building a model that assigns too much explanatory power to any one feature or allows too many features to be taken into account. So here we have an equation, it's the one we saw before, cost equals that complex term over 2 times n. Now we have plus lambda and then a sum from i equals 0 through to 1 for beta sub i squared. The first piece of the sum above is our normal cost function. The second piece, the piece that was just added, is a regularization term that adds a penalty for large beta coefficients that give too much explanatory power to any specific feature. With these two elements in place, the cost function now balances between two priorities, explaining the training data and preventing that explanation from becoming overly specific. The lambda coefficient of the regularization term in the cost function is a hyperparameter, a general setting of your model that can be increased or decreased, that is tuned, in order to improve performance. A higher lambda value will more harshly penalize large beta coefficients that could lead to potential overfitting. To decide the best value of lambda, you'd use a method called cross-validation, which involves holding out a portion of the training data during training and then seeing how well your model explains the held-out portion. We'll go over this in more depth. Heading. Woo! We made it! Here's what we covered in this section. How supervised machine learning enables computers to learn from labelled training data without being explicitly programmed. The tasks of supervised learning, regression and classification. Linear regression, a bread and butter parametric algorithm. Learning parameters with gradient descent. And overfitting and regularization. The remainder of this post is a bunch of practice material and further reading, which you can check out in the original post, linked in the episode description, or on the AGI Safety Fundamentals page. This was an audio version of Machine Learning for Humans, Part 2.1, Supervised Learning, by Myony and Subri, 2017. It's part of the core syllabus for the AGI Safety Fundamentals course. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.